Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from central Pennsylvania. Life is great in central PA, especially on sunny days, and it is one beautiful sunny day today. Checking in, as always, is Chris Martin. Chris, how are you doing, sir? What's going on? Hey, John. It's good to see you. It's even sunnier, I think, here in lovely downtown Swickley in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Believe it or not, the sun's out, and we're actually basking in it. But it's good to see you, John. As John mentioned, my name is Chris Martin, and I am president of Atlas Marketing. And we tell stories for companies who build things. Yes. And that is the whole point of the Building PA podcast, right? To tell stories and get things out, get the value of the construction industry. And John, we're doing that today, Absolutely. aren't we? We are doing that today. It's a sunny day. I see some friendly faces on the screen. So life is grand. Yes. I say we get rocking and rolling. Let's knock out another superstar episode here. Are you ready? I'm ready, my man. Fire away. Okay. The pressure's on our guest. I know he's going to deliver. I know. I can feel it. Everyone, no pressure here, welcome. John. No pressure here. Oh, you get Everyone, please welcome Greg Johnson, president and CEO of the SRS Group. Greg, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Hey, it's 69 degrees over here in Mechanicsburg, and I'm loving it. So I know Pittsburgh oh. usually gets more clouds than we do, but as you know, John, we have a sunny day in central PA. So we do. It's beautiful. I'm going to walk the dog after this. Like this brand. It's great to have you on the show. We're excited about this. It's something that you and I've talked about quite a few years now. We've talked about your first specialty, and that I think it make for a great podcast episode. And that that topic being, you know, we're going to focus on lowering your OSHA recordables, which is huge in the construction world. Every contractor wants to know what's in the secret sauce here. What's going on here? How do we lower the recordables? But before we jump into that, maybe just a little high-level introduction on your company, SRS. So we're family-owned, been in business for 35 years, and we specialize in injury management for workers, employees. And as you said, the construction trade, that's always a very high priority. I'm also part of the Associated Builders and Contractor Safety Committee, as well as a member of Keystone Contractors Association. So through a lot of the events we all jointly attend, it's always a high subject protecting our employees and making sure that they're safe. So when you, you can be safe the majority of the time, but it just takes one little brief moment of not paying attention and an accident can happen or things just go awry sometimes. And so we're there, we run a 24-7 injury management hotline so we can you know, reach the employee right away and give them medical care. And then for cases that require a little bit more extended service, we provide field case management here in the Mid-Atlantic States. So that's primarily what we do. Okay. Greg, when I met with you at KCA event in December, you had kind of expanded upon what SRS does. And can I dive into it a little bit more? Because I really think you have a really unique offering that some folks, our listeners, may not be aware of that, mainly around nurses and how that element of your business really helps the construction industry as a whole. 
Absolutely. I've been in the case management field since 1980. So, and I started as a medical case manager. I came out of Cornell University with a degree in genetics development physiology. So the the field of case management was fairly young back then. And so today it's registered nurses in Pennsylvania, but states like Maryland, you can be a certified rehab counselor and still do medical management. But one of the biggest issues we've always faced is getting early referral to be able to advocate for the patient. Sometimes they get lost in the insurance system or the complexity of our healthcare system today. So we put together a 24-7 acute injury management hotline, a dedicated hotline number that's manned by registered nurses because registered nurses by law are an LPN cannot do a medical assessment, medical triage, and a registered nurse can. So I look at it this way. It's kind of like if, if any of us have had aging parents or our children and they get hurt, you need an advocate today. The complex healthcare system has become so behemoth, so complex, and there's competing commitments within the industry itself. It, you just need a, somebody to advocate for the employees. So when they get hurt, their first point of contact is with a registered nurse who is going to assess the mechanism of injury the type of injury, the level of care they need, and then they're going to treat to the level of care. So to John's point a little bit earlier, how do you record lower OSHA recordables? We know that if you end up in the ER, you're probably going to have an OSHA recordable. Somebody's going to prescribe something that's going to trigger an OSHA recordable. Maybe the employee feels like if they're not prescribed something or they don't have a test, that they're not being cared for properly. The other problem with ERs is they do not want non-emergent cases. And many of the accidents that happen in the construction industry are not catastrophic. They're slips and falls, strains and sprains. And so they can be treated with an ice pack, ibuprofen, and have that follow-up. So the first point of contact is with a registered nurse. And the registered nurse is going to decide, do they need to go to the ER? And one of the things we do when, when we set up a company on our program is, is we want to know exactly what their needs are, how they have a return to work program? Do they have a light duty program? Do they need drug testing? All of those things that kind of precipitate having a good or a bad outcome. And we want to have that straight right out front. And so when the nurse reaches somebody, they know that they've already been told, if you follow these protocols, you should be going to the ER and not call us. And if they don't fall under those emergent protocols, call us and the registered nurse is going to decide, do they need to be seen by somebody other than the nurse? If they do, we're going to recommend either care to urgent care or Ahmed facility if they need to be seen by a physician, but it's not urgent. And that way, the employee is not sitting in the ER for four, five, six hours. They're not out of the workforce. Typically, we're following up. The nurse is going to follow up with the employee after they've started the, the treatment protocol and uh, make sure that they're comfortable, that they're feeling making progress. And there's just a calm when you have somebody that's a trained professional like a nurse to be able to attend to your care. So, and as you know, many of the construction workers are out in the field, either by themselves or with another fellow employee or supervisor. And so having somebody attend to them immediately is huge. And we can either do it telephonically by taking pictures or we can do video triage. Nice, good stuff. You personally, you have a nice mix of education and experience on the job sites and you give presentations when in, in the community, you're always at industry events. I see you out uh, quite a bit, busy man. So you've seen a lot, been exposed to a lot, but do you have any advice or like first steps a company can take on how to improve safety on the job? So there's an interesting article in the construction executive magazine that talked about 
preparation and preventing injuries. And one of the points that they made that we've discussed this on our safety committees at ABC is that you have to kind of treat the profession like the, I'll say the physical requirements of the profession, just like an athlete. We just had a Super Bowl. And so you have these athletes that prepare for their game. Well, the game in the construction industry is the same way. There are certain physical attributes you need to perform certain functions of the job. So you want to be in shape, number one. Make sure you're in shape to do the functions of the job. Secondly, awareness. Um, it's kind of like even at home. You know, we've all tripped over something at home or slipped at home or bumped into something. But the workplace changes every day. So the job you go on might be different than the job yesterday or the same job site's the same, but things have been moved around as progress has been made in the construction of the building or whatever you're working on. So an awareness of the situation day by day. One of the things we talk about at the ABC safety committees are what they call toolbox talks, you know, where it's always good to have a safety team with your company, whether it's a safety director or maybe a safety committee, and then talk about what are the requirements of the job that day? What are the safety things they need to be concerned about? If there's particular equipment they're using, is everybody trained and qualified to use the equipment? Is the safety harnesses and things, are they current, up-to-date? Have they been stored properly? Do people know how to use them properly? So a lot of it's preparation. Just like when we prepare to work with a company, we want to be prepared to make sure the triage outcome is successful. By the same token, for safety, we want to make sure that your employees are trained when they go on the job to be alert to what can happen to them that could make a good day become not such a great day. So one thing, Greg, you mentioned about the triage component. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And what's the real benefit to contractors as it relates to having that easy access type of thing, especially as members of the KCA and how they can really benefit from that? Well, I like to think about it, Chris, from a personal perspective. So I'm working out in the field. I'm kind of by myself or with a buddy or two on the company. I get hurt. There's just something that is a huge advantage. Like in our family, I have a daughter that's a nurse. I have a niece that's a, natu a naturopathic physician. So when somebody in our family is sick, guess who we call first? Hey, that's a trained professional. So there's a huge benefit for the employee. I'd say probably a lever of comfort that's uh, in increased when you know you have a trained medical professional to give you advice on your injury. I think that's a big, big plus. I think also from the employer's perspective, knowing that they're going to have somebody treat them. We document everything we do because a case can, can seem minimal in the beginning and can exacerbate later. So we provide the level of documentation that employers need in the event that the injury compounds itself later. There's a potential for a claim where it didn't really exist. Maybe somebody got hurt off the job and, you know, they had pre-existing factors that led to the particular injury or the injury complicated some pre-existing factors. So there's huge benefits from that perspective. It's kind of like you send a professional to do a professional's job. And I believe that's one of the huge advantages you have with a triage program. And you have it. One of the problems with the process of what most people do, which is just send them off to the ER, it becomes a workers' comp OSHA recordable claim. It goes to the insurance company. And then, you know, it gets to an adjuster. An adjuster might have a, a big caseload. And they're going to tend to the things that are important right away. And sometimes it's so easy for an injured worker to get lost in this huge healthcare system, test after test after test, and then delay of, of care. So I believe the, the value, huge value is, is that we're getting to the employee first, we're treating them first, and you're going to record the injury, but it doesn't have to be OSHA recordable. It's kind of like a car accident. 
if you've ever been in a car accident, you look at your deductible and say, okay, I'm going to have to pay the deductible anyway. I don't have the coverage. Do I really need to turn it into my insurance company? Right? It's kind of the same thought process. Yeah. So is that process encouraged by employers? I would say you want the documentation. And that's one of the things that the nurse provides. You are being treated. You're being treated by a, a medical professional. And then you have the documentation you need. Like I said, in the event, the injury becomes more complex. Okay. But if you report it to your insurance company, now all of a sudden you're going to have the possibility of an insurance premium increase that's going to carry over for several years. So the idea is that if you've already got a deductible, you're going to have to pay anyway. Our cost is very minimal. We don't charge up front. Only charging when there's an injury and there's a flat rate fee for that call. So you could literally go to the ER one time, and that would be maybe even more expensive than 10 calls to our nurse. Wow. Based on what you just said, what's the real value for general contractors in particular as it relates to reducing their OSHA recordables? So there's a couple things. If you have a light duty return to work program, you can get people back to work pretty quickly if you've got light duty. And so we encourage light duty. The second thing is that you're not getting stuck in a system that's going to cost you money that you may not need to spend. Cost containment's huge. You have indemnity costs, wage replacement. Most of our people that are part of the triage program, uh, we've demonstrated results that we've looked at over the years that people return to work quicker. Typically what happens when they get hurt and they get in the insurance process, it takes them X number of days before they're ever referred. And then the time to get them back to work can be sometimes a half a year or more. Where most of our employees are back to work, their injury is recorded within the first day and they're back to work in seven days. And that's a lot different than what we've seen is they refer after 60 or 70 days and it takes them 135 days to get back to work. So those are just some of the statistics that we've looked at from companies we've worked with. I'm just as amazed today as I was, I think we met five, six years ago and you told me about this. It's, it's definitely a tool in the toolbox to be considered, you know, as far as lowering your ocean recordables. We have a lot of construction companies, utility companies. If I mentioned their names, you'd know them here, here in Pennsylvania, but we do this across the country. And so we have companies that have reached out to us from Georgia. And in fact, I had a call from one contractor. He's subbing for a bigger company and had one employee got hurt. He got hurt for a, a short period of time, but they use software to track lost time. And the software is based on a minimum of 100 employees. He had 20 employees. And I threw him into a bracket where the company said, look, if you're going to do work for us, you need an injury management program. He found us and we've been able to provide and educate his team on what we have available, how best to utilize it. And they're just tickled to death. So good. So what are some of the trends that you see being managing injuries as it relates to the construction What's the future look like? I mean, it sounds like there's th this shift going to more of like a triage method versus the traditional go to the hospital, get it documented and go that route. Where is this potentially going? That is a great question. I was at the Ohio Workers' Comp Conference a couple of years ago. Actually, it was right before the pandemic, 2019. And uh, there was a neurologist that spoke at the conference talking about where the whole concept of telehealth was moving. He was part of the Cleveland Clinic. And he said, initially, a lot of people have been very hesitant, physicians especially, to use a telehealth type concept because they feel like there's value being with the employee. And he said, so we did a study 
And he said that we said, okay, well, how long does it take to the average person to get to the Cleveland Clinic? How long do they wait? And how long are they actually seen by a physician? And they found that the average person travels an hour and a half each way. So that's three hours. They wait for 30 to 40 minutes and they're seen for eight to 10 minutes. And so this wasn't just employees. These were just patients in general. But he said, with the technology that we have today, he said, we can better monitor people with the technology today than having them come in the hospital because the technology has gotten so sophisticated. Well, that was back before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic really opened up the value of the whole telehealth concept because so many people could not go see their physician during the pandemic, but that didn't prevent us or other people from seeing patients because we were able to do it through a video service. Yeah. And so you've got the same level of professional they're focused on you as an individual. They don't have to worry about getting to and from. And just as we're all on this call today, we can see each other. I could tell you were talking, Chris, when your microphone was muted and we couldn't hear you, but we knew you were talking. That's how I picked up on that. So there's observation skills in telehealth without the distraction. There's the convenience, I would say, of being able to do it right immediately and from the work site. And there's also the confidentiality that you're not walking into a physician's office or an ER where people are asking for information. So the whole healthcare field is moving and utilizing technology to its advantage and to the benefit of the injured or the sick, because it's just a lot more convenient and efficient for everybody, especially in our busy world today, having the right people that are nurses that do triage specialize in triage. So they come from emergency room backgrounds. So they've been either doing ER, they've worked in the ER, they've done neurological med surge, they've done emergency medicine, and then they've got experience as a triage nurse. So there's value in that. We have access to translators for multiple languages that we can get in 30 seconds being on a video triage. So, you know, if we have a, a worker that's Spanish speaking or another language, we, I think we have up to 20 some different languages and our telehealth service was developed by doctors. So they use it in clinics and physician practices, and it's the same thing we use at ours. So it's HIPAA compliant and easy to use. It could be smartphone access, it'd be tablet access, laptop, computer. So it gives us some flexibility. But for areas where there's not a great coverage, you know, let's say cell coverage, you could do it by phone. We've done telephonic triage for years. And you can always take a picture and text it in. Nice. So back when you and I met and you're telling me about this service, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I could see construction firms benefiting and this helping construction workers, but there's no way I would do anything like this. Forget that. I want to go into the doctor's office. I want to be seen. And then bam, the pandemic hits. And it's just as effective, just to get, like you said, on the video or phone or whatever. And I could see it beneficial now. So I was forced into it, but it's good. So my yeah, eyes are- I've been forced into it. Yes. <laughs> You pretty much covered it for me, and I think you explained it pretty well for our listeners. I don't know if Chris has another question or two up his sleeve here. It makes sense. You're right. We've all been forced as a result of COVID to be, everybody has access to video chats, whether it's FaceTime, Teams, Zoom, or else there is. You mentioned HIPAA, and I'm just curious from a privacy standpoint, have you ever had the question of, well, what about my privacy? Is that something that becomes an issue? It hasn't been an issue with us because the technology we use is HIPAA compliant. They're dealing directly with a nurse. There's things the nurses know they can ask and not. Ask. So it's no different than going, as John said, to the doctor's office 
only we brought the office to you on your work site. And it's easy enough to get separate if there's other workers around to get in a separate place. But if you're on your phone, you've got it as private as a private phone call. And, you know, you could always walk away if there's other people around. Typically, unless it's in like a manufacturing setting or a big industrial setting, most of the workers that we've had back have been injured have been in a more isolated area. Construction's yeah. big site typically, as you know. Right, right. Well, it definitely is an intriguing element because again, everyone understands how to do this. And I'm intrigued to see how it can actually reduce the OSHA recordables, go through that process, because I think that would be almost a no-brainer at that point, right? I mean- Well, we've done, I said, there's two sides of our company. So we do field medical case management, typically where our referrals come from insurance companies. So these are people that have already been a OSHA recordable. And uh, one of the studies we did well, we've done multiple studies, but typically it's X number of days and it's a fairly long stretch of days before they actually refer for medical case management. In other words, why would they refer to us? The case is not moving forward. They're not progressing mm -hmm. medically. So they refer to us. And then that time frame to return to work is three to four times the length it was for them that before they initially made a referral. Make a referral in a half a day or the same day of the injury. All of a sudden, we shrink that time that people are off of work, wage replacement for 135 days for a highly paid professional construction worker adds up real quick. And then there's another side, attorney involvement. Typically, when those cases get prolonged, you get more attorney involvement, which drives the cost and complexity of the case up even farther, both for the insurance company, the contractor, and the employee, because now all of a sudden, attitudes can change when attorneys get involved. This happened a couple of times, actually. We had somehow a couple of attorneys reached out to a couple of injured workers we had that went through the triage program. I remember the one call specifically said to the attorney, hey, look, my nurse cares about me. I'll call you if I need you, but my care is being done by a nurse that cares about me and my injury. So attorneys can't do medical care no more than I can do legal work. So you want somebody that's trained to do that. This just makes it much easier for both the company and much less costly. It does not cost that much to get a triage nurse involved, particularly when you're getting people back to work pretty quickly. We saw a small percentage of them that actually go to the ER. We do refer some people to the ER. If the case is more complex, it's going to be a little more expensive to send them to the ER. But if they need that care, we're sending them there. But most of them we find don't need to be going to the ER. Like I said, if they need to be seen urgent care, it's less expensive. They're not going to sit there as long. And we'll actually reach out to the urgent care and we'll suggest if you need to treat for pain, we prefer non-prescription meds if you can do that. Um, because we know that if they do a prescription med, they've got a OSHA recordable. So again, it's being an advocate up front and talking to one professional to another and they get it. Ibuprofen could work just as good as a prescription for pain. So why not go the route that's going to save everybody money? If your team of trained professionals are halfway as good as your nephew was at running back, Justin Shoemaker, then back in high school, back in the day, then, then you got a solid team on your hands there. Well, did you see he's out skiing? I saw he had some posts on Facebook. He took his family skiing. I think, I don't know if they're in Switzerland or where they are, but they're, they're yeah, out skiing. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm sure our audience all know Justin, so. Yeah, perfect. Well, Greg, I want to 
thank you for joining us today on behalf of the Building Paid Podcast. It was great to have this conversation and, and get the chance to learn more about SRS Group. Thank you very much for joining us. And you're welcome. And thanks for having me. You know, you might see me around, as John said, and Chris, we met at a KCA event. You know, I'm, I have Associated Builders and Contractor Safety Committee meeting next. We're, we're involved with the construction community. We were just at their economic outlook where they had a, a economist come in and talk about how the economy is affecting the construction trade. So very much ingrained in the construction community. It's a great community. But uh, there are, uh, as you know, risks associated with the type of work that contractors do. And we want to be there to give them the best coverage they can from a medical perspective and to minimize their costs. Being an employer, I've been on both sides. I've managed cases, so I know what the employee is going through when they're injured. And being an employer, I know I have to watch my costs and I know what, how to value my employees. And so I've seen both sides of the fence. And I think that we've created a service that is of value to both the employee and the employer. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks, Chris. Tracy, thank you so much for being in the background, doing all the background work. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.